How many of you listening right now have been impacted by cancer? When you hear that line, it looks like cancer, it can be so scary and so paralyzing. Now imagine if you heard that from a doctor about your six-year-old daughter. In today's episode, you're going to hear how this nonprofit founder got activated after his daughter was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Welcome to the Nonprofit Activator Podcast. This is Tiffany Allen of Boss on a Budget, and this is episode two of the podcast where we are amplifying the good work that small nonprofit founders are doing all across the world. And instead of focusing on the negative, we're gonna lift up all of the good stories that a lot of people don't hear. So today we have Mikhail Shaw of Team Jenny Bean, and it is a nonprofit organization that provides gifts to children who have a cancer diagnosis. They also provide financial support for families and also support for the parents during their children's diagnosis and treatment. You're gonna learn today how the giving and incredible spirit of Mike's daughter, whose name is Jenny, inspired them to start purchasing gifts for children, which eventually led to the start of their nonprofit organization. It is such a great story of how their whole family did not let the devastating news of cancer stop them, and they used it as a reason to celebrate life. So just as a heads up, this podcast is a recording of a live video that was recorded on LinkedIn. So if you hear a reference to something on the screen, just know that I got you. You can look in the show notes and you can access any links that are referenced. And don't forget to stay all the way to the end where we do the nonprofit activation mode where you can hear how you can help support children fighting cancer. So let's go. Welcome, Mike, to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Tiff. I'm so excited to be here. I've been waiting and um, anticipating being on your podcast, and I'm really excited to be the second guest. So thank you for the opportunity as well. Yes, and this is not by chance. I knew I had to get Mike on here because he has a powerful story to share, but he just also has the experience of helping nonprofits with their marketing and tell their stories too. So he's just an awesome person to follow and just get to know. But today we're going to talk about Team Jenny Bean. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about you and what inspired you to start Team Jenny Bean. So Team Jenny Bean is our nonprofit, but the irony of it is it wasn't by any means planned. So I know a lot of nonprofit founders that I talk to, we talk to um, collectively, they had this big vision in a long time, this ideal to be a nonprofit, and it was just putting all the pieces together. Team Jenny Bean is a little different in that regard because, as Tiffany, you know, one of my, my, my little phrases is, having a pain that turned into a passion that grew into your purpose. And Team Jenny Bean is definitely an example of that. So for Team Jenny Bean, it was, it's gone on five years now. So it was uh, actually five years. It was 2017 and we are from upstate New York, Rochester, New York specifically. And I was actually in my graduate program and I was doing homework and I'm a Friday night writing a paper And as I'm writing the paper, um, my home office at the time was right next door to our downstairs bathroom. And I hear my wife say, "Um, babe, come here for a second. So I'm like, babe, I'm writing the paper. So I kind of got the tone of her voice um, that she wanted me to come now, that that wifely tone. So long story short, I go in and she's giving my daughter a bath and she shows me her abdomen, Jenny's abdomen. And Mm -hmm. she said, 
Jenny has these two small um, growths on her abdomen and they look about the size of like half of a breakfast sausage. And mm-hmm. I'm looking, I touch them and I say like, Jenny, does it hurt? Or, you know, does it feel awkward or anything? She says, mm-hmm. no, daddy, I don't feel nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, a little, you know, a little puzzle, but it seemed like maybe a reaction or something. I assume we're going to get some salve or a prescription next Monday and mm-hmm. we'll be fine. And my wife looks over to me and she says, um, I-, I think we should take her to emergency. And I'm like, um, you know, babe, it's Friday night. It's like 10 o'clock or maybe eight o'clock on Friday night. Like you don't mm-hmm. want to go to emergency on Friday night. So she, for a second time, she gave me that look and she says, um, get your keys. We're taking her to emergency. Mm-hmm. So as I've heard, happy wife, happy life. Um, I got my kids. Absolutely, and um, and on to emergency we went. So we were in emergency, and after about four hours in emergency, in a barrage of different tests, X-rays, ultrasound, blood work. I think we even had a, um, an MRI. Um, we're in an emergency room, and if anybody's ever been in emergency, it's not a place you want to be, but you'd be mm-hmm. in a little room that often is separated by that little hair-thin curtain, and it's another family on the other side. So we're sitting there. I'm sitting in the armchair. Jenny and my wife were on my left side on the bed on the iPad, and as we're just sitting there kind of you know, getting a little testy, right, because we, we tired of being in the emergency, and mm-hmm. two doctors walk in, and it's a male and a female. And the female doctor kind of steps up for it. And just as calm as I'm talking to you, she just looks at us and she's smiling. And she says, um, it looks like cancer. Mm. And I paused there because that's that moment. It almost felt like um, everything froze and went fast forward simultaneously. And um, I remember looking at my wife and she looked back at me and we both look over at Jenny and Jenny's eyes are big as half dollars. And um, the only thing that triggered in my mind immediately was like, she get her out of the room. Like they got to get out of the room immediately. So I held my hands up and I pushed mm-hmm. them back. And when I get in the hallway, I'm like, you know, excuse my language. What the hell were you thinking? Like, why would you say something? So ridiculous. This child ain't got no right. cancer. Right. You're crazy. And, um, Long story short, she, oh, I'm so sorry, and, and we didn't mean any harm, and I just told you, I wanted to let you know up front what it looked like, what it looks mm-hmm. like to us. And I'm like, lady, like, really? So we were admitted into the hospital, and uh, we had a, a formal biopsy done of Jenny's kidney, and I, for for a while, was still like, y'all got this wrong. I think y'all got us confused. Hey, we don't smoke. We don't drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a vegetarian. This can't be. And um, diagnosis came back formally that Jenny was diagnosed with stage four kidney cancer. And while we were in the hospital um, on one of our stays, we would sometimes you kids can't sleep. You go to the the kitchen and you had a little kitchen on our floor for the Mm -hmm. family. And as we're coming back from the kitchen one night, there's a nurse with a little boy. It's a little a little uh, black boy. And I mentioned because the nurse was white and this is little cute black kid about two years old at a high chair mm-hmm. and I remember giving him chicken nuggets and me and Jenny kind of looking like you know like okay um <laughs> and Jenny says to me she goes daddy I didn't know the nurses could bring their their kids to work with them and honestly I assume it wasn't her kid but then I was like mm. so when we got back to our room my wife explained to she and I 
that it wasn't the nurse's child, but more likely a kid that the nurse almost kind of like surrogate with and kind of took as her own mm-hmm. because of the time they spend around the children. And then unfortunately, during our stay there, we had saw multiple rooms across from us and adjacent to us mm-hmm. that there was no one but medical professionals going in those rooms. So my wife explained that some kids didn't have moms um, and or dads. And mm-hmm. the hospital staff was the only people that they really interacted with. And Jenny could not get over the ideal that a kid was going through tumors, as we, we call them, um, in the first couple of months. And they didn't have a mommy and daddy. And mm-hmm. she would ask my wife and I over and over again, what can we do for those kids that don't have mommies and daddies, mom and dad? Like, what can we do for them? Mm-hmm. And of course, our answer, number one, was we'll pray for them. Like, we can, we can pray for them, Jenny. And mm-hmm. that was that wasn't enough for, that for, good enough for her. <laughs> so one day out of pure, just, um, I think just numbness, honestly, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to appease her and make no burden, take any burden from her on mm-hmm. top of what she's dealing with. So I went to Toys R Us when we had a Toys R Us and I filled a cart up and I came back to the hospital and dragged the, literally dragged these giant purple bags full of toys up to our, our room um, in our unit. And I presented to Jenny and I said, Jenny, I, I think this is a place we could start for those kids who may not have moms and dads that are going through what you're going through. And she just gave me kind of that, that little quiet smile. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that story is what begot Teen Jenny Bean. And the story grew and grew as it got back to her school. I just want to say just how amazing, and I've told you this before, Mike, but just I, I don't think it can be overstated how amazing it is that in the time of like immense sadness and her being scared and not knowing what's next, she decided to help somebody else. Like she decided to look beyond herself and her suffering to help someone else. And it's amazing that that thought just morphed into a whole organization. So Tell me how that has morphed to today. Like, what does Team Jenny Bean look like today from that first trip to Toys R Us to now? So what that created, that whole, and honestly, it was, like I said, it was organic. It wasn't because of good strategy or being smart or clever. It was just kids like toys, right, at the end of the day. So what that has evolved to is we've learned through our own experience and through seeing countless children go through this battle is that, Many times, pediatric cancer can be extremely isolating for kids. Mm-hmm. And you would imagine it's a lot. It's a lot for any, for an adult to deal with. But for kids specifically, pediatric cancer really isolates them because many times they're immunocompromised. So mm-hmm. the chemotherapy and some of the treatments suppresses the immune system. So they can't be around a lot of people. And ironically, after going through this pandemic of the last three years or so, mm-hmm. masks became normal. But if you remember, there were there was a time where the only young kids you saw with masks were the little kids with no hair that mm-hmm. once in a blue moon you would see out at the store or out and about. And the reason which is because they have to protect themselves because their immunity is low. Mm-hmm. So that reality means that a lot of times when kids have pediatric cancers, and there's so many from leukemia, Jenny had Wilms tumor and it was stage four. Mm-hmm. Um so they can't be around a lot of people. They have to be very cautious about where they're at. And so many kids in this space, they're in the hospital for months or years, not just a month here or a week there or a month here like we went. 
but they're in the hospital literally for years. And for Team Ginny Bean, this has resulted in us trying to bring some normalcy to the kids that are going through this, trying yeah. to give them comforts of home, but also giving a little positive distraction. Because imagine yeah. being in a hospital all day long, you're thinking about getting shots or blood draws, or you got to go and get this procedure. These are procedures that adults go through, let alone adults don't like them. Kids definitely don't like them. So yeah. we do care kits. And we send care kits home and care kits evolved from being a bag with toys and novelties to being now where we have our care kit boxes. And in those boxes, we put um, toys, comic books, coloring books, crayons. We put um, games um, and even we've evolved even more at this stage at year five for us that we custom shop for kids. So if a kid tells us they want these specific items, we try to shop to fill their box oh, with that. Like absolutely mm -hmm. to customize. So we've evolved a lot over the time, but the core is still the same. We want to allow kids to be kids while they fight the fight of their lives. And as simple as it may seem, that little box that now we don't just take the hospitals, we send them directly home. Kids mm -hmm. get joyous when they see a box come with their name in it in the mail, or when a delivery comes and a knock comes, and it's for little Jason or Malik or Tina. Um, it really lights them up. And that's the foundation of everything we do. So we've grown from there and we've expanded some. So now we're trying to also bring kids, uh, serve kids with sickle cell, because that's a huge space, um, especially for African-American children, yeah. predominantly um, the people who suffer from this. Um, but we also provide financial support. Um, unfortunately, we provide some of the financial support for families who have lost the kids and for their, their um, memorial or mm -hmm. their funeral service. So we've, we've grown in, and we've reached different areas based on the needs that we've encountered. I love that. I, I also want to talk about just, and to be completely transparent, how in the cancer space, you know, the face of the, of the cancer, like nonprofit space or cancer research doesn't always look like a little black girl, which is why it's so powerful that you all created Team Jenny Bean. And if you have a chance to go to the website, you can see actually Jenny's likeness of when she was a little girl and it's actually a plush doll and all of that. Like that's what makes, there she is. If you're watching live, you can see the plushie on the screen, but it's so important to see her face and to show the different sides of cancer. But not only that, you as a father, right? You as a father dealing with your baby suffering with the cancer diagnosis, stage four, no less. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about why it's important for you as a nonprofit founder, a black man who is a nonprofit founder to be in the cancer space. So a lot of people would say, um, what does ethnicity or what does a person's um, color have to do with this? Every, we all suffer um, all kids, all colors, all ethnicities, all relate races and religions suffer from cancer the same. And there is a lot of truth to that. But unfortunately, at this date and time, there's still a lot of health inequities. There is a whole lot of um, disparities in the healthcare system. And that isn't left out of the cancer space, unfortunately. So yeah. as a man of color, as a black man specifically, I didn't have a lot of resources to go to that I knew of anyway, when this diagnosis came. 
And one of the things that I talk when I speak and I talk to different groups around the country is that one of our key roles as fathers and Father's Day just happens to be this weekend is mm-hmm. to provide, prepare and protect. I call them the three P's. And it is some of the foundational kind of identity as fathers. And this would Jenny's diagnosis of stage four Wilms tumor, which is a kidney cancer, I couldn't buy it or pay for it away. Yeah. I couldn't beat it up. And there was no way to prepare for it because there are no prerequisites or there are no foreshadowing. It just happens for many people some days. And it was for me many times I felt really debilitated. I felt paralyzed. I felt in some cases even hopeless because mm-hmm. What kind of dad am I? And my baby girl, nonetheless, the baby of the family, I can't do anything to fix it. So what I could do was lean on my faith. And for me, my faith really became really became the, the foundation of being able to cope through this. And as a father, and I take nothing away from moms because moms are critical mass, but mm-hmm. as a father, you're not assumed to collapse. You're not assumed to be expected to be emotional and to be um, lost within this space, right? We're supposed to be stoic and we're supposed to hold it in and we're supposed to be stronghold for the family. And many times I felt as though some of the emotions I was feeling, I had to suppress. And I remember one particular time this was very early. This was before Jenny um, had gone through her surgery to remove the tumors. Um, it was uh, summer, and I remember summer because I was cooking her lunch one day, and the tumors grew really, really fast. So mm-hmm. she had one of the little fitted kids, and Jenny was six when her first di- when the diagnosis first happened. So she had one of those little fitted girl T-shirts on, mm-hmm. and I'm cooking her lunch one day, summertime, and as I looked down at her the tumor had doubled in size. It was protruding oh. through her T-shirt. You can mm. literally see like a little fist protruding through her T-shirt and her abdomen. And I remember in the moment, it like broke, like I broke inside. Like it literally paralyzed me. And I forgot how I did it, but I just had to, I had to run in the basement. Mm-hmm. I had to literally run in the basement for a second and cry. And that's not the average story you're going to hear um, probably from dads, but I, I could do nothing else. I had to get away from her not to see me break, but it broke me just to see how aggressive this tumor was growing in her. And again, I couldn't do anything about it physically. I could just be present. Um, and as a man in this space, I think there needs to be more resources to allow us to be in our feelings, if you want, sometimes, and be able to have space, especially as a man of color, because there were support groups that I came and count with. I never went to one, so mm-hmm. matter of fact, but anyone that I I did encounter or know of, there wasn't a representation of um, a culture, wow. and there are some nuances that are important culturally in this space. Yeah, completely agree. I want to. That's an interesting segue to talk about just you as the founder, because that's you as dad and having to deal with all the things that I can't even imagine that you were going through and your family was going through. But then in the midst of all of this, you all suddenly became, you and your daughter became nonprofit founders and you are now continuing that legacy. 
And I want to talk about from the perspective of a new and a small nonprofit founder, because you do have an interesting story to how you got where you are and the fame and the, <laughs> I'm talking to somebody famous, y'all, the fame and the, the publicity and the press of it all. But I want to talk, I want you to talk a little bit about what is it like being a new and small nonprofit founder and how you got there? Because I don't think people, I think people need to hear that part of your story about how, what you guys did with sharing the, the toys with the kids turned into the nonprofit organization it is now. Like how did, how did that happen? So you hear me talk about the story of bringing the toys to the, to the hospital. So the part I didn't mention was, so once I gave Jen these bags, she's about business. I mean, she won't, she don't want to wait. Okay, daddy, let's take them to the nurses or who do we give them to so the kids could get them. Can we go give them to the kids? And mm -hmm. of course you can't in the hospital. So we dragged those bags to a nurse's station um, on her unit. And I explained to the nurses and Jenny was there of why we had this, these giant, I mean, the bags of toys were bigger than Jenny, literally bigger than Jenny. And we explained what her mission was, her vision was that she wanted to give them the kids who may not have support systems or have their families around. And I remember the moment because the nurse that we first mentioned, I forget her name, Miss. Um, Sorry, but I forget her name, but mm -hmm. she starts to ball, like just starts to turn red and she's crying and and she's like, oh, my God, like and I'm like, oh, you know, OK, I know it's kind of sweet and I appreciate it, but I didn't get in. Her point was this little girl is going through cancer herself and stage four nonetheless. And instead of worrying about her own pains or her own uh, issues that are coming for she's concerned about other kids and I think that's something I may have not thought of up front it was mm -hmm. just it was the moment and it was a good distraction so as this story got around and I think her principal and her teacher um, she went to a Catholic school and her principal and teacher came to visit on one day and we had shared the story so nuns are really proactive from my experience so they took the story back to school and they're always finding, how can we help? What do you guys need? And they told the story. So that story just was kind of coincidental in, in my, my mind. They wanted to do a fundraiser because they wanted to help Jenny's mission and raise uh, money for Jenny's mission. I'm like, what mission? Like Jenny just wanted to help some kids at the hospital she's at. So as they did the fundraiser, I'm coming to the school on the day they did a called lemonade fundraiser where they sold cups of lemonade for a quarter. And as I came and my wife came, we came to bring our quarter to get some lemonade support. And the PR person, the marketing person from the uh, school at the time says, Mr. Shaw, um, I was wondering, would you be willing to talk to um, this news reporter that wanted to cover this story? And I'm like, news reporter? Like, <laughs> what news reporter? And she's like, well, I hope you don't mind. We shared Jenny's uh, uh, mission with, so two different reporters came. So I'm explaining to them. And as we did that, that's where things kind of took their, they kind of morphed and they grew into something that was way beyond what we were assuming. And it was never a plan in the first place. So from the news, checks started coming to the school. They didn't know a way to contact us. So we started getting checks and they were $10 and $100 and $500 checks started coming to school because of the story about this little girl who was going through cancer, who wanted to help other kids go through cancer. So mm -hmm. through that, we met so many different people in the community that would say, like, what can we do to help? What can we do to help? And the biggest segue, very frankly, was um, one of my best friends or mutual friend of ours now is Gerald. And Gerald said to me, he's like, yo, you, you got to do a GoFundMe. And I'm like, GoFundMe for what? 
He's like, listen, I'm like, I'm not begging nobody for no money. <laughs> and you know Gerald's personality. He's like, no, nah, dummy, you ain't begging nobody for no money. <laughs> he says, um, I'm sure, like myself, speaking for him, there are many people who want to help you and they want to support you and they don't know what That's to right. do. That's right. And this GoFundMe way may coalesce the community to be able to pour into this mission to be able to give something to support your family in this mission, Jenny's in disregard Jenny's mission. So I was like, nah, G, I'm not begging nobody for no money. And he kept telling me, like, yo, it's not about you. One of my favorite phrases now, it's not about mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So I did the GoFundMe, and um, I think we raised about honestly, maybe two thousand, three thousand dollars. And that was just friends and families in the community. And then I got an email from GoFundMe. And it was like, hey, we see Jenny's um, story. And we've been paying attention to Genesis, Genesis the last couple of months. And um, we want to feature her. We want her to be our one of our kid heroes. So on this Giving Tuesday, which was November, we want to send her a special gift. And we want to kick off and really amp up her fundraiser because she's doing it for other kids. So they mm -hmm. sent you a giant uh, $1,000 check. And... Um, they started really putting some resources with us. So, I mean, I had a, a team of a couple people at GoFundMe in California who were reaching out to me every week. And Mike, how's everything going? And how's Jenny doing? I'm like, cool. Wow. <laughs> right. And I just mentioned that because I'm, I'm sure you get it. Yeah. GoFundMe was reaching out to me, which right. was hindsight like, wow, that was really dope. So I'll leave it there and let you continue. Mm -hmm. But it was really, really a big deal. I'm glad you brought that point up, Mike, especially from the perspective of people who are starting their nonprofits because they just want to do something good. And a lot of times people just land there because they have something going on in their, in their life. There's a lived experience that kind of propels them into this nonprofit space. But that doesn't necessarily mean you know how to navigate it well. And one thing I want to pull out that you said, Mike, was you felt like you were begging. And I encounter that a lot with new nonprofit founders. Like they feel like asking for money for a cause to help someone else is still on their behalf. And they feel like people are going to look at me weird or funny at the fact that I'm asking for money. And let's just be real in the black community. We don't always do that. That's just not a norm always for us, unless it's like tied to church or school fundraiser or something like that. But when you branch out of that, that's really uncomfortable. And I've, you know, Mike and I met because he reached out to me to help with his nonprofit at, he was asking about grants and I just want to share like what was what are one of the mind shifts that you had to make to stand up in your nonprofit foundership um, that I activated in you what's something that you were able to learn from being a founder so Tiffany I, and I and I'm more than really humble but really excited to share this for anyone who doesn't know who has not um, come across you or understand some of what you do for nonprofits you met with me and it's a couple things I take from it. So the activations, if you will, that mm -hmm. I got um, working with Tiffany, and this is not a commercial, but it's reality. And if it looks that way, it's because it's true. Is <laughs> Tiffany told me very early on, and I remember something she said specifically, you said uh, that sometimes you need to call your donors and reach directly out to them and tell them thank you and ask them why they donated. And I got to be transparent. I At the time, I was like, Tiff, you try, I'm not calling out on people. <laughs> <laughs> to, um, and, and at the time, I was like, you know, I'm going to call them. I got to call all those people. And I have still never called everyone. 
but mm -hmm. I did start to call people directly. And the other thing you you taught me um, to what you just spoke about is this idea of begging. All right. It's never begging to um, advocate for the people right. in the country that you support. That's and I right. think that is such a misnomer that we're begging. We're not taking this money to get the brakes fixed. We're not taking yes. this money to get um, new a new pair of sneakers. This money, these resources are for many times people who are the least acknowledged and have the least resources in our in our world, in our communities. So I've learned a, a phrase that I, I, I've said and I just mentioned with, from Gerald from that concept. It's not all about me. I stand in the gap for people who may not have a voice, who may not have the platform to ask for themselves. So when I do when I do solicit and ask and speak out for the people I serve, I understand it's an honor and a privilege. Yes. And then the other thing, and I just want to throw this out there, you told me not to assume what's in people's pockets. Yes. Don't go assuming what people got, right? And don't assume you can look at nobody and tell whether they're going to give or not. Um, and at the end of the day, what I found over and over and over, and I can't stress this uh, strong enough, is that for some people, if not most people, it's an honor to give to causes that they believe in. Yes. And I thank you, Mike. Mike just gave you a masterclass on giving just like that. Right. <laughs> but I do I, just to circle back to, you know, sharing about the black community in particular, because Mike and I have those conversations a lot about how philanthropy and giving looks differently in the black community. It's not less because a lot of people assume that, but it just looks differently. And we always give, we always, you know, rally around each other. We, it, we're big in the community, right? But it's not necessarily through a nonprofit that we've always done that. So we're a very giving culture, but it hasn't always looked the way it's looking now. And it's evolving now where now more people of color are founding their nonprofits. And it's just, like I said, that mindset shift is necessary. So people can see that it's not you begging. It, right. You're advocating on someone else who doesn't have the voice or doesn't have the platform that you have. So especially coming from a black founder who's new and small, what do you think, Mike, funders and donors get wrong about that experience? I think that sometimes in this space, in the nonprofit space in general, well, first, let me acknowledge one thing. And we, we throw this around and joke about it a lot. One of our old team members um, actually coined the phrase, but a 501c3. It's not a business plan. Mm -hmm. And getting that 501c3 for so many of us, we think it's a magic wand. And then that money starts falling out of the sky and grants just become immediately available because mm -hmm. I got my 501c3. Look at me. Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest misnomer. The 501c3 is a tax designation. It actually gives you permission to collect money on behalf for a charity. But the thing that I think a lot of people don't get about this work is that for us, it's not just a thing or a hobby or something we do um, as a, a part-time mission. It be, very much becomes lifeblood for us. It becomes yes. an assignment for us. And it doesn't mean that other bigger organizations don't see it that way, but we're boots on the ground and we're far more nimble and we're able to move and change and make decisions more directly than some of our bigger, far more stratified um, uh, um Brethren, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think that they really need to understand that 
you're going to get more results from smaller nonprofits because they're boots on the ground in the communities they serve. They're not just in the communities. Many times they're of the communities. And mm-hmm. if people don't take chances, it's not just financial either. Sometimes we need stewardship. Sometimes we need mentorship. And yes. sometimes we need awareness because we want to do the work. And this is the key thing. We're going to do the work, frankly, whether we get a grant or not. The work is still going to get done. And that you're not necessarily always going to get from some of the, the more, um, as I said, stratified larger organizations. I love that. The work is going to get done because it's personal, right? And Absolutely. it's a deep connection in a lot of these communities where people work. Thank you so much, Mike, for saying that, because I do think that a lot of folks don't understand that. Um, and even to that point, I would love to hear a story about how Team Jenny Bean helped somebody. I know you have a lot of amazing stories just because of the nature of the work that you do. But can you share like just the story of how Team Jenny Bean changed somebody's life? Um, yep. So, I mean, I'm trying to think of is so many different, um, like which one to pull down. So one that comes to mind was a lady who um, found us. She donated through our GoFundMe and our GoFundMe We've been blessed enough to raise over 250,000 collaboratively over the five years from our GoFundMe campaign. And the reason I mentioned, and I know <clears throat> crowdfunding is not the norm for everyone in this space, mm-hmm. but I think it's amazing for us because it also has given us amazing exposure. All right. Mm-hmm. We reach people from, to, from Japan to the United Kingdom across all 50 states. And this one lady reached out to me and she messaged me and she said that she used to have to travel eight hours um, every Friday to and from to get her chemotherapy. And she said she regretted it and she was begrudging about going sometimes, but she had to go to sustain her life. And she said that after seeing Jenny's story and seeing some video footage, and this is the importance of visual storytelling and the storytelling part of what we do, um, that she saw the the joy, but also mm-hmm. the um, tenacity of this little seven-year-old girl skipping down the hall to go mm-hmm. get her radiation. And she said, as she flies to radiation this Friday, um, that it gave her a different perspective that she was able to go and get that treatment even eight hours away. And she said that impacted her. And she said, for for the rest of her treatment, she's going to have to smile because she gets that everyone doesn't have a choice. There's some people who don't, they're nowhere. There's no treatment to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other story, just to give the short version, was a kid that we served um, that got one of our care kits. His, his grandmother had reached out to me and we had went shopping and Jenny uh, went shopping and bought all the things on his list for his care kit. And when we went to send it, we didn't have the right size boxes in stock. We ran out of our, our shipping boxes and we had to wait a couple of days. I think it was like, seven or 10 days for the boxes to come in and Mm -hmm. uh, shipped it. And he was a Spider-Man fan, a little boy, I think five years old. He loved Spider-Man. And I texted his grandmother to let her know. And we had been communicating back and forth for a couple of weeks. And I texted her to give her the shipping tracking number. And um, she didn't respond immediately. And that wasn't normal for our our communication. And Mm -hmm. a couple of days later, she uh, called and the family and I were out and we were shopping a Sunday morning. And she says, Mike, um, our little guy is gone. My baby is gone. And I was like, gone. It didn't even click to me. Um, Little man passed away. 
before he received his box. And she told us that um, she received the box a couple of days after the call. And she just told me how she broke when she opened the box up and saw the little um, specialties and novelties that he loved. And what they ended up doing was actually the Spider-Man that Jenny bought for him, they end up um, putting in his casket and mm-hmm. burying him with this toy. And I think maybe not life changing in the immediate sense, but it matters is what I'm saying. And mm-hmm. little tokens, as you may think, is a toy, right? But that toy can represent peace of mind. It can represent um, the innocence of a child. And mm-hmm. I think those stories to come to mind immediately. And with that, y'all, I hope you had your tissues nearby because, you know, I've heard that story a few times, but every time I hear it, I just imagine I see the picture of the Spider-Man and I see the family gathering around, you know, praying over the young soul and him having it. And it just touches my heart every time I hear it. But I want to move us into a segment I'd like to call Activation Mode. And you just heard Mike explain the amazing ways he touches people all across the world. And we want to give you an opportunity to be activated, to support Team Jenny Bean, to continue to do that work. And it's just those small tokens of people feeling seen, people feeling like they matter. Young kids still being able to be kids, even though they're fighting cancer, that matters. So we want to give you all the opportunity to support Team Jenny Bean and Mike, if you want to share, what is something that the organization needs right now that people can support you with? So as, as you would assume, probably um, cash donations are always the most tremendous because we can do the most different options, whether it's buy supplies or buy toys. As you heard me say, one of the things we do is we also do financial support for some of the families we serve that uh, shows up in ways of paying for transportation, buying gift cards for families, uh, Uber cards. Um, But it also shows up as for some of the families, unfortunately, this young man you heard me speak of, we donated for his uh, funeral services and were able to support the family because so many people don't have insurance on kids. And that may sound off-putting, but who thinks that they have to get an insurance policy on a four-year-old, five-year-old, two-year-old? So sometimes because this is out of the blue in many cases, we have to support for those services and people are not in a place to really think about where they're going to get six or $7,000 from. So we provide those as well. So donating, donating, donating directly to the organization is probably the fastest, the most efficient way. But then we also always use uh, donations of new toys can be mm-hmm. sent to us and I can give information for where those could be shipped to. And it's a variety of toys. Um, because there's so many different kids we serve in so many different areas, we focus on one to 18. But mm-hmm. in fact, I promise you, we got a toy closet in our home. It's not mm-hmm. a closet, it's a room um, with the toys and supplies that we've collected um, over the months and over the years so that when we need something, it's on deck. So that's in a tremendous way. Um it's, it's just those are probably the key ways, but there's so many different ways. And you can engage by visiting www.teamjennybean.org or .com. And we always keep that updated as well. All right. You all heard it here. You have now been activated. It is your opportunity to move now. If you are watching this on the screen, you will see a donate 
page that you can go to. And I will also include the donate page in the show notes. Thank you all for just showing up and supporting young kids fighting cancer. And as we almost wrap up this episode, I want to share, I just want to ask you, Mike, and I know people probably ask you this a lot, but how is Jenny doing now? And that's probably the second um, (laughs) most asked question. And I actually take it for granted because of how normal life is for us um, in a positive way. Jenny is now 12 years old. She'll be 13 in about two months. Um, She hasn't been on a medicine or a prescription in five years. Um, She is grown and as crazy as this may sound, even Jenny has some massive surgeries. Um, She had her left kidney removed and the lobe of her liver removed. She had about eight um, surgeries over the course of her treatment. And even as simple as this may seem, symbolically, even the scars have healed. Jenny has a scar that's a foot long across her her chest and abdomen. And even that is, is healed in ways that you really couldn't know unless you got close to look. And I just say that to say she is truly the reflection and the picture of hope. And with that being said, I get, sincerely get, that there's so many families and so many children who don't have the results that our family have, but that's why we appreciate and we know this is a part of our mission and our purpose to support other families who have this unwelcome monster of cancer to intrude in on their lives. And we have to stand in the gap because this work won't wait. We have to continue to fight for kids until a day comes where cancer is truly something of history. And that's what we stand for at Team Genie B. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So glad to hear that she's doing well. So glad to hear that even the scars are healing and such a sense, such symbolism that she is healed and that she can use this experience just to continue blessing other people, even through the nonprofit and even through her own life. So I'm just so glad to hear she's doing well. And as we come to a close, do you have pieces of advice that you would offer to a nonprofit founder? What would you say? Um, first, and Tiffany, you know, I didn't talk about it a whole lot today, but always be transparent. And if it's something that you personally are aligned with, or if it's not something that's personally that happened to you, always be willing and able to sell, not sell, but share your story. Be very concise and be very transparent with your story. Your story is so powerful in the work that we do as nonprofit founders. It's like your fingerprint. Someone could have one very similar but nobody has a story just like yours. And the better you are at being able to share that story and articulate it in a way that activates, excuse the pun, but mm-hmm. activates your donors, your community to um, really align with you. Um, activation many times will make people become allies, advocates, and even evangelists for the work you're doing. And mm-hmm. your story is a trigger to do that. And even though it's not comfortable sometimes, We really have to understand the power of sharing our story and how it really aligns people with our missions to accomplish them. Love that. You know, Mike is going to always talk about storytelling because he is a marketing professional, but he's just an amazing storyteller, just period anyway. So I love that advice. Um, And as we close, you know, I love music. I love to sing. So I just want to ask you this question. If your nonprofit was a song, what would it be? 
and you you've heard it too many times probably um i i love joe scott golden because it is just a song about optimism and finding the silver lining and you know our our slogan celebrate every victory and when i think about living my life and living our lives like they're golden it does it doesn't matter what it looks like feels like sounds like you still got to find a reason to have gratitude and to celebrate so i would use joe scott's golden as as our our song all right, y'all. Y'all heard it here. Thank you so much, Mike. Make sure you visit Team Jenny Bean, their website, and the donate link to support them in helping kids fight the fight of their lives. Thank you all for watching this episode, and we will see you in the next one. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you share this podcast with someone who needs to hear some good news today. And don't forget, make sure you subscribe to the Nonprofit Activator podcast on all major podcast networks as we work to amplify all the great work that you need to know about. See you next time.